0: Well, good morning, Meeting House. We were chatting beforehand about how often I've been here and we couldn't decide if it's maybe like six times, but then when I was referred to as a guest, I'm like, well, maybe I'm like that annoying guest that won't leave and just keep coming back, Uh, but I am glad to be here this morning. I'm also glad they decided that they could give me four hours for this message. Um, not sure if you were aware of that, but we at 40 Orchards, we'll do scripture circles that are two hours long on like two of the verses that Debbie just read for us, because these are so thick and rich and deep. And so uh, we'll do what we can. I will try to stay within the time limit, but I make no promises. I'd like to invite us to start in our imaginations and start with our own stories. So I want you to think about where you were and what you were doing 40 years ago. And if that was before you were born, congratulations. (laughs) Many of us in this room can think back 40 years. And I want you to think and imagine about the life that you have built in the last 40 years. I want you to think of the job or jobs you have had, the relationships that have begun, the relationships that have ended, the paths you have taken, the children you've had. And I want you to imagine what it would be like to have to give all of it up. Because that is what puts us in Moses' shoes in this passage. In the book of Acts, Stephen in Acts seven helps us see the timeline of Moses' life as existing in series of 40 years. That he lived 40 years in Egypt in the palace with power like Pharaoh. And then he lived 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd, marrying Zipporah, having children, wandering with his sheep. And then he spent 40 years wandering with the more annoying sheep of the people of Israel to close out his life. And so this burning bush moment happens when he is 80 years old And as a part of the conversation with God, when we really look at what God is asking him to do, he is asking him to give up his life in Midian and go back to the place he fled from 40 years ago because there's something God wants him to do there. If he agrees to that assignment, he's losing everything he currently knows, everything he has built. And so we might be compassionate with his questions. So I'm going to back us up to before uh, the passage that we started, uh, the verse we started in, and to put ourselves in this moment where Moses is wandering around in the wilderness with his sheep, and he makes his way to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And he sees off to the side this bush that is on fire, but is not burning up. And some of us say, like, gosh, I wish I could have a burning bush moment. I wish I could have a moment where God showed up to me so clearly. But the thing is, that's not as clear as it seems. Because bushes would light on fire in the wilderness all the time. It would actually be a quite ordinary occurrence for a shepherd to see a bush on fire. Some of, the, some of the bushes in the wilderness, that's how the seeds germinate, is through fire. But something about this particular fire catches Moses' attention. And I wonder if we start there, are we willing in the ordinary life that we have built over the last 40 years To pay attention enough to see something extraordinary in the ordinary and to turn and go look at it. Because it is only once Moses turns and moves towards that bush that the Lord then speaks to him from that bush. And I wonder what if Moses hadn't turned? The ancient rabbis actually say God had been trying for a week to get Moses' attention. This is the first time he caught it. So he goes to the bush, and God starts by saying Moses' name twice Moses, Moses. Moses says, Here I am, which is Hanani in Hebrew. And uh, if you track the word Hanani, that's the word that Abraham says. When God says, Abraham, Abraham, Mo, uh, Abraham says, Hanani, God says, take your son, your only son, take him up the mountain to sacrifice him. Hanani is a word that shows up with a full presence of being willing to engage in the wrestle of what God's about to ask. And that's how Moses shows up. Here I am. And then God starts saying why he's there. That he has heard the cry of his people. He has seen their oppression. And he wants, and he's going to go free them from Egypt, Mitzrayim, the narrow place. And then he says, Moses, it's actually you that I'm going to send to do that. The word for send there is the word salah, which means to stretch out, to send away, to forsake or to hurl. God's not just saying, Moses, I'm going to gently nudge you. He says, Moses, I'm going to hurl you from the life you have known into a new life. It's a word for divorce. It's a word for being sent away or forsaken. You, I'm sending you away from all of this. So Moses' first question comes there. His first question is in verse 11. Well, who am I that I should go? There's probably a bit of a humility in that question. There's maybe a little bit of I'm not sure I want that assignment in that question. But notice that that question was already answered by the way God started the conversation. How did God, this is, we'll make this an all play. <clears throat> Do anyone remember from my little summary there how God started the conversation? By saying, Moses, Moses, who am I? I'm Moses. What does Moses mean? Moses means to draw forth, to draw out because he was drawn out of the water, but now his identity of being someone who draws out is going to be used to draw the people out. God knows who Moses is. Does Moses know who Moses is? So then God says, well, I'll be with you and your sign that I'm with you is that you'll come back to this mountain after the people are freed. And let's think for a moment about how helpful that sign is. Like, what if I told you, go take a new job, and your sign that you're supposed to take that job is that a year from now, you'll have been successful at that job. That's the sign that God offers. I'm with you. It's you. I'm sending you. So then Moses asks another question. Well, okay, so let's say I go. Say, I talk to the people, like, what shall I tell them your name is? Who shall I say is sending me? And there's a couple ways to think about this question. One is that no one knew God's name at this point, because Moses is the first person to ask. Another way to think about this question is to wonder whether Moses forgot. God's name over the last 40 years. Maybe Moses doesn't know who the God of his fathers is. Moses grew up in a palace and then has been living in Midian. Does he know who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is? So God answers that question with these three Hebrew words that you could Google search and study forever. Aye, asher, aye. Aye is the verb to be, or to exist, or to cause to exist. And it is repeated twice, and it is given in the imperfect tense, with a relative pronoun in the middle. So, imperfect tense, is sort of like future tense, but without a beginning. So imperfect tense would be, there's something that will happen in the future that began in some ambiguous point before now. So in English, I think of the closest uh, to that is the idea of like, I, I am biking. I am speaking. When did I start speaking? Well, in this case, we know about Ten minutes ago. But it's a bit ambiguous in my phrasing. When will I be done speaking? Well, it depends if I decide to obey the timeline or not. So this God, this response that God gives to what God's name is, is that verb to be, to exist, to cause to exist in that tense that started sometime in the past and at this point is not yet completed. So, yes, you can translate that, I am who I am. You can also translate it, I was who I was. You can also translate it, I will be who I will be. You can also translate it, I am and was and will be causing to be. It is the verb to be and to cause to be that God names as God's name. I like the way that Rabbi Nahum Ward Love uh, translates this in his book, The Liberating Path of the Hebrew Prophets, which I highly recommend as a resource. He translates this, ver- this name of God into the word living presence. And one of the reasons I like that is because it captures the dynamic name of God much better to me than the word Lord does. Lord, to me, feels a bit like Zeus some God who's up there, kind of distance. But living presence isn't up there. Living presence is here. Living presence was here, is here, will be here. Living presence was creating, is creating, and will be creating. Living presence is without gender. Living presence is a verb. How do we understand God differently if we understand God as a verb instead of a noun? Because that's how God reveals God's self to Moses. And what we can notice about that as the story continues is how much the words being and causing to be are repeated once God reveals God's name. I will be with you, Moses. Moses. I will be with your mouth. I will be with you. I will be, aye. God's repeating God's name. I will be with you. When, God, when Moses throws down the staff and it becomes a snake, it, the snake comes to be. It's that verb again. Do we believe in the capacity of God to be present and to cause to be? Or have we, like Moses, forgotten God's name? So in order to enter into a name like this, we have to ask ourselves if we're willing to let God recreate the picture of who God is. Because a God who has been and is and will be might not always show up the same way that God might challenge us, that might, God might want us to believe in their ability to recreate our life into something new, to be sent forth into something we didn't expect. So after revealing that name, God then says, okay, so you're going to go and you're going to tell the elders that I, the living presence, the God of, their, of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, appeared to you. And you're then going to go to Pharaoh. And then, all. by the way, if Pharaoh is not going to let you go, it's going to take signs and wonders. But then once there are signs and wonders, um, then you're going to plunder the Egyptians. So then the beginning of chapter 4, Moses has another question. As we might also. Because he is being asked to leave his job as a shepherd and go to the most powerful empire in the world and tell them to give up the primary source of their power, their labor. This is not a small assignment. So Moses' next question is, okay, so, what if they don't believe me? What if I show up to those people of Israel and they don't believe me, they don't think that the living presence appeared to me? And so then God does this annoying thing that God does and says, and asks a question. Back. And asks Moses, well, what's in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. He says, throw it down. And he does, he throws it down, he flings it to the ground. And it becomes, ayah, same verb, becomes a snake. And Moses runs away from that snake. And I was uh, leading this a passage, we were doing this in a scripture circle once, and someone in the room said, I wonder how much time passed between when Moses ran away from that snake and when Moses came back to this conversation. So it doesn't say. Maybe it was a minute. Maybe it was an hour. Maybe it was a day before Moses comes back to face this snake again. So it becomes a snake. And now he says, okay, God says, living presence says, okay, Moses, now put forth salah, same word that God's using to send Moses put out your hand, seize it by the tail. Now, I'm going to do an all play question again. Picture yourself in Moses's shoes. You are holding on to the tail of a snake. What is possible when you hold on to the tail of a snake? It can curl around and bite you. You don't pick up a snake by the tail. You pick up a snake by the head. Why would God tell Moses to pick up this snake that he ran away from by the tail? What is Moses being asked to trust? What is Moses being asked to learn? As he reaches down to seize that thing he's afraid of and risk it biting him, because it's what God asks him to do. So he does. He grabs it, he catches it with strength, and he holds it in his palm, and as he holds it in its palm, it becomes a staff again. And then there's this weird thing that ha- happens with a leprous hand. We're not going to go into that. But God is giving him signs to say, if the people don't believe the snake, maybe they'll believe the leprous hand. If they don't believe the leprous hand, take this blood from the water from the Nile and make it into blood. He's giving him these signs. But the signs are scary. The signs probably wouldn't be that reassuring if you're Moses. But Moses stays in the conversation. And then questions again in verse 10. But I'm not a speaker. I'm heavy of speech and heavy of tongue. There's also different ways to interpret this one. Sometimes people think Moses had a stutter. I wonder if he forgot the language of his people. He's been away for 40 years. What if his Hebrew and Egyptian's a little rusty? What if he's scared? What if he doesn't think he can be successful at this task that God is giving him? So God responds, well, who made your mouth? Was it not The living presence? Was it not this being that was and is and will be and was and is and will be creating? I will be with your mouth. I will teach you what to say. And then verse 13. Moses says, send someone else. And what Pete Enns, a commentator, noticed about this verse is that in that verse, it's the first time Moses now does not use the name of God after Moses has learned the name of God. These other questions kept using that name, kept calling God that living presence. Now he just calls him Master, Adonai. And that's when the living presence gets mad. And I don't think it's because Moses is still questioning. I think it's because Moses is losing track of who this God is and what this God is capable of and how it's this God who is sending Moses, which means it's this God that can do it. I've been really frustrated with God lately. As Christian talked about in his prayers, the world is a mess and I really would like God to show up and do more. And what I started wondering as I was looking at this passage for today is if God is showing up in burning bushes everywhere and we are the ones who aren't paying attention and saying yes to what God is calling us to do. Because yes, God does want to free the people from oppression, but God sends a human to do it. But the human God sends to do it has to be willing to give up 40 years of a built life in order to engage in a greater task. And it reminds me of Jesus' words of those who want to gain their life must lose it. Are we willing to pay attention to the burning bush? Are we willing to engage God in conversation? And are we willing to lose everything for the sake of freeing God's people from the places where they are stuck and oppressed and angry and sad and hurting? Are we too comfortable in our suburban, happy house of a life to hear God speaking in the burning bushes that are in our front yards? We don't have to say yes right away. Like Moses, we can ask questions. We can say no and we can watch God respond to us with action and grace as we do. Our first step is just to see the burning bush and turn and open to hearing our name and open to hearing what is ours to do to make this world something other than a dumpster fire.